You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today, and we want to welcome in our online community as well. Thanks for joining us on Facebook. And uh, today I'm really, well, I should say before I jump in the message, I want to know who Mike's bopping in the nose. Uh, like that, that was, I want to know that. Hopefully it's not me. I guess we'll know Monday, tomorrow, right, Bobby? Um, it, it'll be Tim. We'll, we'll put Tim in front of us. But uh, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us. And uh, today we're beginning a brand new series of messages called Focus, where we're going to be talking about all of these different aspects uh, of the, of, so that we can focus on those. And, and over the next four weeks, we're going to really be honing in on mission and vision. We're going to talk about future and, and purpose and those kind of things, but they're going to be wrapped in with mission and vision. And, and I'll just say right up front, um, the reason we're doing this series is because it's really easy for us as individuals, but us also as a church, to get sucked into the habit of routine. Anybody have a routine they do every morning? Most of us. If we're, most of us, we get up and we have something that we do first thing every morning. And then our day just kind of flows from there. And if your day gets started in a different way, it, it ruins your day, doesn't it? I mean, it, it doesn't take anything. My, I'll tell you this. I like for my alarm clock to go off. I hate to be woken up before my alarm clock goes off. And so it doesn't matter what time, just if don't wake me up before the alarm clock goes off. And so if Christy wakes me up before the alarm clock goes off, I am in such a bad mood for the rest of the day because I have my routine. And that's the start of my routine. But as a church and as individuals who are following Christ, sometimes that's not always that great that we get sucked into that habit of routine and we just kind of begin to do things without even thinking about them. And so, so there are many people for, for, in churches across the world that their, their routine is this. You show up to church. You sing songs. The, somebody talks for 20 or 30 minutes. You take communion. You go home. And you call it a day, right? And somehow you think uh, all of your religious obligations have been met for the week. And so you get your check mark. And everything is good. And everything is good as long as nobody rocks the boat. No, as long as we don't do things out of order of the service. As long as the, we sing the songs that I want you to sing, right? You sing the songs that I like. Or the preacher doesn't talk about anything too controversial. Or he doesn't talk too long. That's really the big one. Is he doesn't talk too long. Yep. Or, and, and, and as long as everybody kind of goes along with what I want to do, right? You know, if, if you're meeting my preferences, then everything is good and we can, we can stay in our little habit of routine. And I just want us to recognize that tendency as individuals, but also as a church, to do that. And you've heard me say this before, but, but this is so true, that the gravitational pull for every church is always toward the preferences of those who are inside it. Those who already belong to it. The gravitational pull for this church is always going to be to to cater to the preferences of everyone who's already here. Why? Because you're here, right? that's, That's the gravitational pull for every church. But the church is the only entity. The church is the only entity that has ever existed for the benefit of those who are not a part of it yet. The church is the only entity that ever exists for the benefit of those who are not a part of the church yet. Schools exist, and they're, and they're great organizations and great entities, right? But they exist, why? For the education of the kids that are in that school, right? Hospitals are great, great organizations, but they exist, what for? To take care of the people that are in that hospital. Church is the only entity anywhere that was ever created for the benefit 
of those who were not a part of it or didn't even know that they needed to be a part of it. That's the church. That's what we're a part of. And so, so if we constantly cater to our preferences, there's always going to be this, this pull to leave everyone else behind. And so we need to understand what our mission is and what our vision is. And so I'm just going to, again, say up front with this series that the goal of this series is not to offend anyone, okay? That's never the goal, is to offend anybody, especially unnecessarily. But I am going to tell you that in this series, you may find that your preferences may be found as not important. As not as important, I should say. And that's okay, because guess what? My preferences, they're not that important either. And here's the deal, and we'll get into the message with this, but here's the deal. Jesus died, Jesus paid way too high a price for us to be concerned about our preferences. He, did, he paid way too high of a price for us to be concerned about preferences. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at two statements that Jesus made this week and next week. Uh, the first statement he made to to people kind of individually, who, who people who were not yet his followers. The second, uh, in, next week, we're going to look at the second statement that he made, and he made that to his disciples at the end of his ministry. And then the two weeks following that, that uh, message, we're going to talk about our vision. And I'll just tell you that most people, when we talk about mission, most organizations, when they talk about mission, and it's not limited to the church, but especially in the church, people typically don't argue the mission. Everybody typically nods their head in agreement when we talk about what the mission of the church is. It's when we talk about the vision of the church that that's when people start to to feel a little tense. That that's when people start to get a little squeamish and that's when people really start to think, oh, this isn't what I want, this isn't my preference. It's when we talk about the vision and the strategy of how we we fulfill the mission. And so we're going to spend two weeks talking mission Mission of individuals and mission of the church. And then two weeks talking about vision and strategy of how we fulfill that mission. And so I'm just telling you up front, again, it's not my intent to offend anybody, especially unnecessarily. But if you find that your preferences are maybe just simply about you, right? Because they're your preferences. And they don't necessarily help fulfill the mission then I want to encourage you to, to go into that with an open mind and say, maybe I need to reevaluate how dearly I hold some of these things. And so let's get started as we look at the first statement that Jesus makes when his ministry begins, because it's the mission for us as individuals. It's found over in Matthew chapter 4, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over there. We're, we're going to look at it here in just a moment. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you, but Matthew chapter 4. And in his book, uh, The Island of Lost Maps, author Miles Harvey, he shares this story in a sentiment that I think a lot of us can relate to. At least I relate to it very well. And here's what he says in in his book, Miles Harvey, The Island of Lost Maps. He says, In my 30s, I spent a great deal of time at the Kopi, which was a traveler's cafe in Chicago. He said their walls were adorned with masks from Bali and shelves filled with guides to far-flung destinations. I was then the literary critic for Outside Magazine, a great job, but one that was beginning to wear on my patience. You see, the books I read were about people who climbed the Himalayan peaks, and they rode bikes all across Africa, and sailed wooden boats across the Atlantic, and they they trekked into restricted areas of China. These tales of adventures, he says, filled my days and my imagination, and yet my own life was anything but adventurous. The interior of the Kopi Cafe shop 
was ringed with clocks, each one showing the time in some distant location. And as I watched the weeks ticking away in places like Timbuktu and Juno and Goa and Denpasar, I began to long for an adventure of my own. Harvey says this, he said that he, he loved looking at the maps and he said as, as he would do that, he was acting like a character from, from a, a novel Joseph Conrad wrote when he said, when I grow up, I will go here. When I grow up, I will go here. And so Harvey would look for all these exciting places in South Africa and Australia and South America and, and he, would, he would just kind of lose himself in the glories of all the adventures that he thought he might be able to have. And he, he'd take his finger and he'd put it on some exotic location and he would say, when I grow up, I'm going to go here. Can you identify with any of those sentiments? Are you ever impatient with your life? Ever grow weary of the routine, the way things are? Are you absolutely content with where your life is heading in its present course? Is there any part of you that would just want to jump up from your seat and go off on an adventure that might leave your life qualitatively better than it is today? Is there any part of you that wants to do that? Well, for some, the answer was yes. It was a resounding yes. Yes, I want to go there. Look at this story from, from Scripture. About, it's about some people who did just that. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That was their life. That was their box. That was the coffee shop in which they lived. They, they, they fished for a living. And Jesus walks by and he says, this, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He says, I'll take who you are today, and I will turn you into something better. I will show you how to play in a new key, play a new game. I'll show you how to have more impact and more influence in your world. I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me. And look at their response. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Who does that, right? Who does that? There, there's that, that when... When I would read that, that line in Scripture, that made no sense to me. Because who does that? At once they left their nets and followed him. And then it says they went on from there, and Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And look what it says they did. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Again, who does that? I mean, like, if you're going to go on that kind of trip, like go on that kind of adventure you got to plan for it right you got you got to make reservations and you got to you know rent a car and you got to make sure you know who's going to take care of your dog you can't just leave everything behind and, and take off right at once right like who does this there, there's a there's a scene in one of my favorite movies Forrest Gump and, and Forrest Gump I think is probably the greatest movie ever made and if you disagree with that well you can be wrong it's okay but but in this movie, in, in, in this scene, Jenny, Forrest Gump's love, she's, they're in Washington, D.C., and, and they've met there, and, and they're talking, and everything's great. And then Jenny's current boyfriend comes along, and he says, hey, it's time to go. And Jenny just gets on the bus and follows him and leaves everything. She doesn't really want to go, she, but, but she just leaves him right behind. And when I would watch that, that, that scene always confused me. Like, why is she going? Why is she going? Why, why is she just leaving everything that she knows? Because what she knows is forced. It's safe. She, she knows that. And she's just leaving and following. Now, that didn't necessarily work out too well for her. But in, in this case, it's striking to me how similar that is to what the disciples did. They just pick up everything. Or actually, they don't pick up anything. They drop everything. And they go. Follow me. That, that's the... That's the the command from Jesus, follow me, and their response is immediate. 
All of these hard-nosed working people suddenly drop all of their equipment. They drop all of their tools. They get out of their vehicles, their, their boats. They, they leave behind their associates. In one case, a uh, father was their associate. And, and they just leave. And they follow Jesus. I can't help but when I read something like that in Scripture, I feel like there's something about this kind of response that is just not natural. That it goes against human nature, right? That that, that wouldn't be the, the, the reaction that most of us would have. But then you read what comes next. And it's almost inexplicable, the behavior of these men towards Jesus. But, but it's the very next part of, that, that is the context for the first part. And it's what kind of helps you make, make sense of why they just dropped everything to follow Jesus. Because here's what it says. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought him to all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. And Jesus healed them. It says large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. In other words, a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life, from a lot of different places in life, laid down their tools, they got out of their vehicles, they, were, they walked away from some of their associates, and they followed him. It, it finally clicked for me when I read that uh, not too long ago, why these disciples followed Jesus immediately. Because they, they had seen what life looked like in, when it had been laid in the hands of Jesus. They had seen what life looked, at, looked like when, when they placed their lives in the care of Jesus. They had seen what it looked like for other people. I mean, look what it says he did. He, he healed various diseases, those who were in severe pain, those who were paralyzed, those who were suffering from seizures. He did all of that. And people saw that and they said, yeah, I want to go follow him. It makes sense to follow him, right? Because he's giving life and life abundantly. And that was Jesus' mission statement, right? I've come to bring you life and life abundantly. That was the mission statement for Jesus. I hope you don't miss that. That he had come to bring life and life abundantly and he was bringing it now. Not, not just in eternity, but he was bringing it now. And we're not talking about life with a, with a small little L and, and you know, this kind of just you're surviving and, and barely making it. No, no, we're talking about life. Capital L. It's the good stuff. It's life here. It's life now. And he came to bring it abundantly. He says, that's why I've come. And, and these people saw the transforming power of life. In the hands of Jesus. And so it, made, it only made sense to drop everything and to follow him. Those fishermen, they had seen what Jesus could do with, with life and trusted him. They had seen what he did with people in pain. They had seen what he did with, with people who were seized up and, and couldn't function any longer. They had see, seen what he had done with people who were going nowhere fast under their own power. And it made sense to follow him. They saw that and they wanted, they wanted that for themselves. They wanted to walk into that kind of kingdom. And so they followed him. When Jesus said, come and follow me, they followed. But what about you? What about you? Are you interested in a more abundant, healthier, fuller life than what you've settled into? What if Jesus could take you to a land where your past wounds and your mistakes would no longer haunt you or, or, or worry you? What, what if you could live totally free of the past? What if you could live in the land of beginning again? What if he could guide you to a region where relationships were, were kinder and safer and sweeter than you could have ever dared for them to be for you? What if you could go from, from the boredom of watching time just tick by in your own life to getting up every single morning knowing that, 
knowing that there was a, this purpose for your life, feeling the exhilaration of knowing that God would use you in a powerful way to impact and influence the lives of other people? What, what if there was a way to, that you could get so close to the infinite God that not only did you, not, did you just know about God, but you knew God as your closest companion? You see, Jesus can take you to that place on the map. Imagine Jesus leading you on a wild adventure, uh, unpredictable, uh, magnificent, transforming kind of adventure. Imagine gaining such closeness to him along the journey that, that he progressively infuses you with, with his character so that when people meet you, they actually think that they're meeting Jesus. Like, shouldn't that be the goal for all of us? Shouldn't that be the goal uh, of our character that when people meet us, they, they see such qualities of, of Jesus in us that they actually think that they've met Jesus? That's what I want for my life. I want people to, to, when they meet Adam, to think that they've met Jesus. Not because I want to be Jesus or not because I, I need that for my ego, but because people are drawn to Jesus, right? Shouldn't that be, shouldn't that be the goal for all of us, that, that people see Jesus through us? What, what, if, what if Jesus could do that for you? What if he could do that for you? Would you follow? Would, would you go if he said, come on this adventure with me? Would you go? Imagine him filling you up from the very center of your being with things from beyond yourself, with, with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, and gentleness and self-control that resulted in, in the fact that no addiction or seduction could ever harm you again. Imagine you had such power from him in your center that no enemy could ever phase you again, that no storm would ever destroy your life again, that, that if you were just to go off with him on this adventure, if you were just to follow Jesus, that that would be the kind of life that you could have. If Jesus said, come follow me, would you go? What would you say? I mean, what, what would you say? Would you say yes? I think we might say yes. If it was possible, if we knew it was possible to have this full, abundant life by following him, I think we would say yes. I mean, if we could see it, like if we had been with the disciples and we could see all of the things that, that they saw, I think we would, it would make sense for us to drop everything and follow him, right? And here's the deal. The truth is, is that Christ has called you to that kind of life. Christ has called you to, to that kind of following, to follow him, to drop everything, to leave everything behind, and to follow him on this wild, unpredictable, unimaginable journey that will bring you life abundantly now. He's calling you to that kind of life. And for those of you who have been following him or at least attending church for, for, for a lot of years, he's been calling you to that every day. Every day, he's been, he's been calling you to that kind of transforming life. But let's be honest about this. There, there's part of that invitation to follow Jesus and what we've just described here that, that feels out of reach to most of us, doesn't it? I mean, most of us, we, we think, yeah, I know I'm supposed to follow Jesus. I'm going to kind of, I'll do the best I can and we'll just see where it takes me, right? Like that, that's unfortunately the attitude of, of a lot of Christians, and here's how I know that that's the attitude of even some of you. Because when I asked just a moment ago, would you follow? Would you follow the response? It's kind of pathetic. I mean, I get maybe you didn't realize it was a question you were supposed to answer. And, and, but, but look, if I'd said, hey, do you want to go? I've got two tickets to the Super Bowl. Who wants to go? Like somebody would have jumped up and said, hey, I'm, I'm in, Right. Like somebody would have taken those tickets. And yet when we say, hey, do you want to follow Jesus? We all just kind of sit here and like, eh, yeah, he'll change my life. It'll be the greatest thing ever. 
Maybe. Like that's the reaction that, that we typically have. Our reply is so often like Joseph Conrad's reply as a child in his book, Heart of Darkness, when he says, when I grow up, I will go there. When I grow up, I'll go there. What, what we're saying is when I have more faith, then I'll go there. When, when, when I'm a little more convinced, then I'll go to these places that Jesus is calling me to. When, when I don't have all of these obligations and all of these distractions and all of these complications, then I'll follow Jesus like he's calling me to follow him. When I grow up, then I'll do that. Erwin McManus in his book, Divine Appointments, suggests that that many of us, church folks specifically, have unintentionally become sideliners. And I guess not just church folks are, are sideliners. I guess everybody can be a sideliner in, in the great adventure of life. But McManus defines sideliners as this, as an observer rather than a liver of life, someone who is more a spectator than a player. These are the kind of people that live more vicariously than they live valiantly. They, they find their romance in, in things like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, but God forbid they ever do something that, that would be really passionate and wild to demonstrate their affection for someone else. They, they fight their battles and their proxies like, like James Bond or, or Katniss Everdeen. They, they, they applaud and, and appreciate the, the people who are the, the spiritual superheroes and the courageous heroes and, and the servants. They, they applaud all of those things, but they never actually do them themselves. Instead, they sit on the sideline, they, they sit in their chair, they sit on their couch, they sit in their pew, and they don't ever actually do anything. They don't leave the room in which they're sitting, they don't get up and follow God to those places that God is calling them to go. They, they think, when I grow up, I'll go there. I might go there when I grow up. They still haven't realized that, that it's only by going with God to those places, it's only by going with God, it's only by following God that we actually ever grow up. And I don't know if I'm alone in thinking this, but, but when I look at the headlines, they're pretty much the way that they were last year and the month before and, and so on. And when I consider the tensions in households and workplaces, when I look at the conditions, it, it strikes me that we need some more grown-ups and I'm not talking about grown-ups that have just aged. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm not talking about grown-ups that have just gotten old and lost their ability to play and have some wonder and, and that kind of stuff. What I, I'm talking about, about people that have matured in Jesus. People that ha- have this sense of awe and wonder about them that, that think, I'm going to follow Jesus. Whatever it costs me, I'm going to follow Jesus. Wherever it takes me, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to, I'm going to leave my tools behind. I'm going to get out of my vehicle. Uh, if I need to leave some friends and family behind, I'll do that. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm talking, we need some more of those kind of grown-ups. But here's the deal. You and I, we are not integrated. We are not unified whole persons. Our hearts are multi-divided. It's like we have a boardroom in every chamber of our heart. Uh, imagine with me for just a moment this. A, a big table, leather chairs, bottled water, coffee, a whiteboard. There's a committee that sits around the table in your heart. And there you are. There's your social self. There, there's your private self. There's your work self. There's your recreational self. There's your religious self. And there's probably a, a whole other number of selves of you that are in there. And this committee is arguing and debating and voting constantly uh, they're, they're constantly agitated. They're always upset. They never, ever come to a unanimous, a wholeheartedly, wholehearted decision. They're always bickering back and forth. And so we tell ourselves that we're this way just because we're, we, we're, we've got so many responsibilities. We're, we're so distracted with everything else. But here's the truth. 
we're just divided. We're unfocused, we're hesitant, and we're unfree. That's the story that plays out in the hearts of, of so many people. We are exactly what the Bible calls sinners. That's our condition. And, 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 and it's our condition because we have not grown up. We haven't taken the statement that Jesus made to come and follow me and make that our mission statement. See, our mission statement's got to be as individuals. As individuals, before we ever talk collectively, collectively about the church, our, as individuals, our mission statement has got to be, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Christ. When he says, come and follow me, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on whatever adventure presents itself. I'm going, to, I'm going to do whatever he asks. That's my mission statement. I'm going to follow Jesus. Erwin McManus says there are a couple of ways that we can grow up. He says there are two, two ways to sort, to, to sort that out. He says the first is, is the person can just accept Jesus and, and uh, invite him onto the committee. You accept Jesus and you invite him onto the committee. And we say things like this. So, you know, I'm going to listen to more, more to God this year. I'm going to listen to, to, to God. I'm going to give God a vote, basically, is kind of how we, we play that. I'm not giving up complete control. You know, I'm still the majority vote. But, I, but I'm at least going to, I'm going to entertain his thoughts. And I'm just going to tell you that's a terrible idea. That's just a terrible idea. All you're doing is adding one more voice to an already distracted heart. Don't do that. McManus says there's a second way, and I like this way a little bit better. He says you can, you can um, ask God to come in and fire everybody on your committee. Get rid of all of them. Say, God, you, everybody else is out. You are in. You are in complete control, 100% all in here on out. I'm just going to put myself in your hands and let you do as you please. And I think that's a better option, but I think there's still a, even a better option because it goes even a little bit further. Russell Moore says it this way. Um, he says, for too long we've invited, we've invited people to invite Jesus into their life. Anybody ever heard that statement, just invite Jesus into your life or into your heart? Yeah, we, it, it's a, that's kind of the evangelical orthodoxy. But here's a newsflash. Jesus doesn't want to be in your life because your life is a train wreck. My life is a train wreck. Jesus doesn't want to be invited into my life. What he wants is to invite us out of our lives and into his life. And when we, when we make that separation, that distinction between the two, is when we finally say, you know what, that's a better option. I want to follow Jesus into his life, not into mine. I don't want Jesus following into my life. That's a, that's a mess. But I want to follow Jesus into his life. He wants to take us boldly where we've never gone before, into the life of the kingdom of God. He wants to take us on that great adventure. That's exactly what he means when he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me and let me show you the life that you were truly made for. So here's a recommendation, and that's all I can do is recommend. But the recommendation that I would encourage you to do is to, is to, to make the commitment right now. Say, I'm going to take some deliberate steps. That means motion. I'm going to take some deliberate steps to go on this great adventure with Christ. That when he says, come and follow me, I'm going to, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to drop everything, and I'm going to come and follow him. I'm going to get off the sidelines. I'm going to get out of the chair. I'm going to get out of the pew. And I'm going to go and follow Jesus. Wherever he says to go, whatever he says to do, I'm in 100%. All in. And let me emphasize as we close that your attitude on this journey, it makes a difference. It matters a lot, in fact. Because determining that you're not going to, to try and just be a, a, a tourist on this trip is, is different than being a traveler 
on this trip, being a traveler with Christ. I want to be a traveler with Christ. And here's the difference between a, a tourist and a, and a real traveler. The, the tourist, they spend time and money in places that they want to visit. They immerse themselves in that culture for a little while, they, but then they insulate themselves from the effects of that culture. They're, they're choosy about where it is that they go and eat and, and what it is that they do and what vehicle they take from place to place. And, and, and that insulation of, of the tourist, it provides a good time. Everybody's going to go on a trip and, and as a tourist and come back and say they had a great time. They're, they're going to go and you'll, you'll come back with photos from the lines on, on your safari in Africa. You're, you'll have shakers of sea salt from the shores of Ireland, maybe even a new outfit from France. It'll be great. But if you go as a tourist, you will come back the same way that you went. You will come back the same way that you went. And I found that to be true not just in traveling but in life, right? Here's the, here's the difference. A, t- a traveler, a person that is a genuine traveler, they, they open themselves up to the world that they bought a ticket for. They, they know that this experience is going to change them, and that scares them a little bit. And honestly, that's okay. It, it's okay to be scared of, what, of the unknown, of what's ahead, what, what lies a, ahead of you. But they open themselves up to it because to really experience the change in adventure, you've got to be willing to do new things. You've got to be willing to, to, to do things that you might even think that you won't like. Like if you're traveling, right, you, you got to maybe try, if you want to get the most out of your experience, you got to try some new foods, right? You can't just eat the same old food every time and say, oh, it was a great trip, right? You know, it'll be a great trip, but you'll be the same as you were when you, when you come back. My grandfather kind of taught me that truth when I was younger. He would take me and some of my cousins, and we went on trips all over the country. And he basically told me that you're going to have to prefer to try things that are unknown and scary and uncomfortable if you're going to get the most out of this experience. And I found that to be true in just about every aspect. If, I, if, if I'm going to get the most out of this experience, out of this life experience, then I'm going to have to try things that are, that are new. In fact, that's going to have to be my preference, is to try things that are out of my comfort zone, that are, a little, that are a little scary, that are a little uncomfortable, that are unknown. And I'm just telling you, if you want the most out of life, then you, you're going to have to follow Jesus. You're going to have to prefer to not know where you're going because Jesus doesn't give us all the directions, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, here's A, B, and C on your itinerary. He just doesn't, right? If he did that, we wouldn't need faith, right? He says, no, just come and follow me. Just come and follow me. And, and ch- if we want the most out of as a church, then that's going to have to become our preference, that, that we, we try things that are outside of our comfort zone. If we want the same results we've always gotten, we can keep doing the same things we've always done. But if we, want to do, if we want to do better, and, and maybe what we've always done hasn't been bad, but if we want to do better, if we want to do better, if we want to reach more people, if we want to never be satisfied with what, we, with what we've accomplished in terms of, of bringing people into the kingdom of God, if we never want to be satisfied with that, then we're going to have to prefer to do things that are uncomfortable, that are maybe a little unknown, that move us out off the sidelines. One of my favorite scenes in, in the Disney movie, The Incredibles, it's the one in where Bob Parr, who's the middle-aged suburban dad, and I think that's probably where I identify with the most right now. He's pulling into his driveway after a very ordinary day of work, and uh, his life has grown awfully routine. And he's just sitting there, and he's kind of hands on the steering wheel, and you can kind of tell he's contemplating life. And he looks over and he sees the neighborhood boy standing in his yard watching him. 
and it agitates him. It aggravates him that this boy is watching him. And so he, he, he yells very agitated, what are you looking at? Or what are you waiting for? That's what he says. What are you waiting for? And the kid says back to him, something amazing. And Bob softly, softens and wistfully says, me too, kid. Me too. Friends, I'm just telling you that the amazing has come. The amazing has come to meet you in the form of Jesus and, and to draw you out of where you are living life right now and to draw you into life abundantly. When he says to you, come and follow me, it is the most amazing invitation that we will ever get. It will be far better than any invitation to dinner, any invitation on any other adventure. When Jesus says, come and follow me, it is, it is the invitation of a lifetime. So say yes to it. Say yes to following Jesus, to following him with reckless abandon, to dropping everything that you have, everything that we're holding on to. And that's, that's really the, the holdback, right, is that we want to follow Jesus. We just want to hold on to everything while we're following him. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Drop everything. Drop everything. If you've got to leave people behind, leave people behind. Drop everything and come and follow me. And when that becomes our mission statement as individuals, then when we gather collectively as the church and we get on board with, with the last statement that Jesus makes, the church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. I absolutely believe that the greatest force that God has ever created was His church and the family. The two greatest things. And when those two, th- two things are combined, it's, un- it's an unstoppable force. As individuals, we've got to get on board, right, with what Jesus said, come and follow me. My mission statement is going to be follow Jesus. You have, you've been invited to follow Jesus. Only question is, will you? Will you drop everything and follow him? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we are incredibly grateful for the adventure that you have called us to be a part of. Father, we're incredibly grateful for the way in which you have loved us and you have brought us into a, a relationship with you. But Father, help us to just Abandon everything else that holds us back from you. Everything that, that, that calls out to us to, to distract us from following you wholeheartedly. Um, Father, remove those things from us. Father, help us to, to just give up everything. So that we can follow you. With, with immediate response. And with no hesitation. With, with, no, with no drawbacks, with, with no going back and forth, just, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Father, help me to follow you wholeheartedly. Help those who are here this morning to follow you wholeheartedly. Help us as a church to follow you wholeheartedly. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.